First John chapter four, verses seven and eight. The first part is going to be the audience participation portion of our segment this evening. Um, just to kind of get a feel for where you're at. Name some things, not everybody at once, or else we will not be able to gain clarity. But name some things, one at a time, that you love. Anybody? Xbox. Xbox. Family. Soccer. Pets. Horses, racing, your sister, y'all are so nice, your friends, gosh, soccer, your life, these are all pretty good things, memes, M-E-M-E-S, um, I'm uh, pretty sad that no one said Mexican food. No, Mexican food's way better. Chips and salsa, man. If it were up to me, we would have chips and salsa every night for dinner. All right, all right, all right. These are all things that we love. And my guess is the list would go on and on and on and on. And we could be here all weekend naming things that, that we love or that we say we love. My point is this. We throw that word love out like it's nothing. We love this, we love this, we love Starbucks, we love Mexican food, we love our friends, we love soccer, we love baseball. Baseball's better than soccer, that's my personal opinion, but it's, it's an objective truth. We love a lot of things, but do we really know what we're saying? Do we really understand the word love? And so that's what we're devoting ourselves to this weekend. What is real love? What is love. And we're going to start with the foundational truth tonight that God is love. God is love. John tells us right here in 1 John 4, 7 and 8, that God is love. He, he writes, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, God because God is love. What I want us to see is that real love, then, is derived from and defined by God. We don't get to define what love is. And ultimately, the love that we extend as God's people doesn't come from us. It's important to note, before we dive in, that God is not only love. My guess is if you were to go out on the street tomorrow night, or, tomorrow, or whatever, and ask people to fill in the blank, God is most people would say love, right? You would probably say love. I would probably say love. And that's fair, but God is not only love. In 1 John, John says God is light and God is spirit. So God is multiple things. And he never stops ceasing to be love. He is holy all the time, always, in all that he does and in all that he is. And at the same time, he is love in all that he is and all that he does. And so we want to unpack this truth tonight. Let me pray for us. We'll dive in. God, I pray that you would help us scratch the surface on this truth. We can go as deep as we possibly could imagine to go tonight, but it would be merely scratching the surface and the reality of the truth that you are love and the implications that that has in our lives. So I pray that you would teach us tonight. 
that you would be exalted and that we would grasp your love together. In Jesus' name, amen. The first point is pretty easy. You probably already filled it in before I got there. God is, anybody want to tell me? Love. Man, you're good already. God is love. Now, he says that at the end of verse 8, but I want to touch on it right here before we get back to verses 7 and 8. God is love, and I want us to show or I want us to see a few ways that God reveals his love. He shows his love. Sorry, I'm squeaking. Um, in the world. This is a few of the ways, not all of the ways that we see God's love show up in the world. The first way that God loves or extends his love is sustaining love. If you don't know how to spell that, look at the screen. Sustaining love. A couple passages to look at is Matthew 5, 45. It says that God makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. If you uh, verses later in Matthew 6, 26, it says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? What the Bible is teaching here is that God sustains the life of all people. God sustains your life right now as we speak. Whether you're in this room and you are coming genuinely wanting to know about the love of God because you care about the things of God, you love Jesus, you love God, or you're in this room and you could care less. You're, you're sitting there waiting for me, tapping your feet, could he please get done so I can go back out in the rain and splash around in puddles? Um, both of those people, God is sustaining your life at this very moment. God in his love extends common grace and sustaining love to all of us, to every person. God also extends saving love. John 3, 16. Somebody who is in the room and has that verse memorized, will you stand up and cite it for me? Go for it, Nolan. Boom. You get a free t-shirt at the end of the week. It says real love on it, and it's pink. That's awesome. For God so loved the world. In this way, God loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in this son, Jesus, should not perish but have eternal life. So God demonstrates his saving love to the world in the sending of his son, and he specifically extends this saving love to all who believe in Jesus. Those who reject Jesus perish. They don't receive this saving love. Third, God's adopting love. Ephesians 1, verses 4 through 5. In love, at the end of verse 4, it says, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. So not only does God extend saving love to His people, God doesn't go to the prison of our sin and just unlock the gate and let us out. God welcomes enemies into his very family. He welcomes us in through Jesus into his family as children. He adopts us in love. Next, we see God's disciplining love. John 15, 10 says, If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. 
So abiding in the love of God means obeying the commands of God. God gives us commands because he loves us. They are for our good. God did not give rules. God did not give commands to restrict your freedom, but to promote freedom. They're for our good. They are because he loves you. Hebrews 12.10 says that he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. Not only does God give commands for our good, but he corrects his children for our good. Out of love, God gives commands and God corrects his children because he loves. The last love that I want you to see here is unending love. This is so good. When, when God extends his saving Adopting, disciplining love on a person, it does not run out. It never, ever runs out. Romans 8, 38 through 39 says, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will, able, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is so good. Those of you who are in Christ, there is nothing that you and I could ever do to make God love us less. To make God say, I don't love you anymore. I loved you at the beginning when you had your act together, but now there is nothing for those of us who are trusting in Christ alone, there is nothing that we can do that will make God say, I'm done with you. Never, ever ends. Now, it's important to understand here that saving, adopting, disciplining, and unending love are only extended to God's people. Only extended to those who have repented of their sins and trusted in Christ alone for their salvation. Sustaining love, the first love we talked about at the beginning, is for all people. But hear me, it is only extended for a season to those who do not know Christ. For those of you in this room right now who have rejected Christ, God is extending His sustaining love to you. But there will come a time if you do not repent and turn from your sin and turn to Christ, His sustaining love will run out. He will sustain you no more. So this is a plea that for those of you who are in the room that you just came to meet a girl or you just came to meet a boy or you're just here for a weekend at the beach or you're here because your mama made you be here. I pray that you would know more than just the sustaining love of God. That you would know the unending, saving, adopting, disciplining love of God that brings you into his family and never lets you go. He simply says, do you repent of your sin? Run to Christ and be saved. So knowing God is of supreme importance when it comes to understanding, grasping, and being involved in the love of God. So John writes, verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. First, or the second point I want us to see is that those who know God love people. 
That's John's point in verse 7. Those who know God love people. Now there's a command in this verse. Beloved, let us love one another. That word beloved is for Christians. He's writing to believers. This is not a command to unbelievers to love one another. God doesn't expect you to love one another because you don't possess the power to love one another who is God in you. This is a command to Christians and the command is to love one another. We're going to get more into that on Sunday night, but that's the command. The reason he gives us this command is because love is from God. And then John gives some clarity as to who will obey this command. He says, whoever loves, whoever actually loves, has been born of God and knows God. So, a couple of questions. What does it mean to be born of God? It's kind of a big theological thing, and it's sort of weird. But in John 3, if you've got a Bible, turn there with me. John chapter 3, Jesus explains it to this dude named Nicodemus. Nicky D, all right? That's his name. In the original Hebrew, it's Nicky D. We translate it Nicodemus. I don't know why. All right? So this Nicodemus, or Nicky D, so to speak, he's a Pharisee, and he's a little bit, he's intrigued with Jesus. John chapter 3 is where I'm at, verses 1 through 8. He's intrigued with Jesus, but he's not totally ready to abandon his religious uh, place, his religious authority to follow Jesus, but he's intrigued and he asks Jesus, clearly you're a teacher come from God for no one can do these signs that, that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answers him in verse three, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's a really weird thing for Jesus to say. Nikki D gives Jesus a compliment. You seem like a really good teacher from God, Jesus. And Jesus is like, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. Unless you're born again, you can't go to heaven. This is really weird. So, Nicodemus, obviously confused, as we would be confused, he basically says, how on earth can a person, when they're old and, and big, go back into their mother's womb and exit out again? Okay, I'm not going to unpack all that, how that works for you, but you can get the image. Okay, you've seen a little baby. That makes sense. But a grown man is not going back in his mama to come back out again. That's the logic here. And Nicodemus is like, this doesn't make any sense. How on earth could I be born again? Jesus is like, you're missing the point. He says, verse 5, truly... Truly I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Now there's a little more clarity in John chapter 1. If you flip back a page or two, John tells us in verse 12, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. 
but of God. Essentially, being born again, being born of God is a work of God alone. The God who is love must ultimately cause you and I to be born again. He, he moves and he works where he wishes. And he causes us to be born again. Second question we've got to ask in light of verse 7 is, it says that everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. What does it mean to know God? John 17, verse 3, I'll read it for you. But Jesus is praying, and he prays this prayer in verse 3. This is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Knowing God is wrapped up in eternal life. There is no eternal life without knowing God. And this word knowing here means more than just knowing about God. It is knowing God. And it's all tied to receiving Christ. Trusting Christ. Maybe you're here and you're asking questions like, am I born of God? You just said that it's of God. Am I born of God? Do I truly know God? Have I truly received Christ? I hope you're asking those questions, but here's the question John would have us ask. Not necessarily, am I born of God? Not necessarily, have I truly received Christ? But do I love people? I'm not just talking about your friends and your family. If you were there on Wednesday night, I'm not just talking about the easy to love. I'm talking about the hard to love. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 46, that if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? The tax collectors do the same thing. In other words, the ungodly do the exact same thing. Everybody loves the easy to love. Everybody loves their friends and family. Everybody loves their circle. But the thing that distinguishes God's people from the rest of the world is that God's people love people they would not normally love were it not for Christ. People who know God actively love people they would never even think about before they knew God. The beauty of the gospel is that natural enemies now love one another because of Jesus. I remember as a college student calling one of my friends and complaining that there, were no, there was no Christian community in Gastonia. Um, there were Christians around me. There were Christians in my Sunday school class. And I remember complaining to him. They're just, I just don't have anything in common really with these people. And my friend rebuked me, and I'm so grateful for this. He said, are the people in your Sunday school class Christians? And I said, yeah. And he said, then you have everything in common with them. You have Christ in common with them. I am so grateful that he said those words to me in a moment where I'm tempted to write these Christians off as weird and I can't hang out with them. He said, they're your family forever. You have everything in common with them if you have Christ in common with them. People who know God and are born of God love people. Middle school students, do you feel any love within you towards that person that you naturally dislike? Do you feel any love within you to that person that is so irritating, that person that you wish would not sit beside you tomorrow night in service? Do you feel any love to that person who is so hurtful to you, who has said so many mean things to you? Do you know a sense of compassion and pity toward that person? Do you pray for that person? This is what love does. Do you feel that with regard to this 
person. If you are born of God, if you know God, you must, even if you are bad at it. Those who know God love people, but the reverse is true, James tells us, or John tells us. Those who do not know God do not love people. It could not get more clear than John makes it. He writes in verse 8, Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. I love the clarity. I, don't, I almost don't have to preach a sermon. You can just read it. If you don't love, you don't know God. And here's the deal. Most every student in this room would affirm the basic truths of Christianity. Most every student in here would affirm those things. God is one. Yep, check. God sent His only Son, Jesus. You would agree with that. Jesus lived the perfect life. You would agree with that. Died for my sins on the cross. You would agree with that. Rose from the grave three days later. You would agree with that. That salvation comes through repentance of sin and faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone. You would agree with that. And on and on down the line of basic Christianity that you have to believe to be a Christian, you would say, check, 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 check. But my concern is that while most of you know these facts about God, my fear is that some of you, maybe many of you, don't actually know God. Knowing God is not simply knowing all the right facts about Him. Truly knowing God shows up in the reality that we actually love other people. You can know all the right things about God and be a million miles away from knowing Him. One of the scariest verses in the entire Bible is James 2, 19, where it says the demons believe all the right things about God and yet they shudder. That means they are horrified. Why are they horrified? Because they know that their knowledge of God won't change the fact that they will spend an eternity away from His presence in absolute torment. Though they know all the facts about God, they hate God and they hate people. That's why they're horrified. Do you know all the facts about God and yet you're totally unmoved by Him and indifferent towards other people? I want you to notice here that John does not say that people who do mean things to others don't know God. He does not say that people who are bullies don't know God. He says people who don't love don't know God. Hear me. Pretending that someone does not exist while not actively being mean at all, but simply pretending they don't exist because you don't have anything nice to say is not love. And a fear that we have our circle of people and that's who we love. Those people, we don't, we don't hate them. But we certainly don't love them. John says, if we don't love, we don't know God. He's not interested in saying, drawing a line and saying, we just don't go over there and talk to those people. We just don't go over there and deal with those people. They're different, they're weird, they're ugly, they stink. Love goes over there. Love sits with the kid in the cafeteria that you'd rather not sit with. Do the things that you know about God actually change the way you relate to God 
and people. If they don't, what's the point of Christianity? What's the point of wasting your weekend here? If you don't love people, you don't know God. Why? Back to where we began. Because God is love. Because God is love, into verse 8. And His people, who have the Holy Spirit residing within them, will love others. Because it's ultimately God loving through us. You can write this reference down, 1 John 4, 15, where it says, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in Him. The God who is love abides in us and He in God. Don't you think that if we as Christians, if God resides within us, we will love The God who is love dwells within you. It will pour out of your life. God is love, and therefore the more we know God, the more we will know that God is love, and the more we will know about love, and the more we will love. So what? I just want to ask one simple question. Do I grasp the love of God? And in asking that that question, We're really, we're just scratching the surface of the love of God this weekend. You might be so sick and tired of the love of God by Monday morning, but hear me. We have barely made a nick in the vast love of God by the time we're done looking at it. Ephesians 3, this is where we're going to wrap or or begin tomorrow morning, so I don't want to spend time here, but Ephesians chapter 3 Verses 14 through 19. Paul prays this for the Ephesians. And this is my prayer for us this weekend. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend. Here we go. With all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. God is love, and we aren't even beginning to understand what that phrase means. God can't help but to ooze love in everything He is and in everything He does. He can't help it. He just does Every single one of you in here wants love, and every single one of us looks for it. And I want you to know that there is a God that we can fall into and be totally immersed in His love, and we will never reach a point where it's like, well, His love ran out. Love ran out. I want you this weekend, before tomorrow night, I'm sure you will, go out to the beach and I want you to look at the ocean and get the picture. You can do this if you want. The lifeguards won't let you, but you can try it. Jump in and try and swim to the other side. Okay. All right. Try and swim to the other side. And while you're in the middle of the Atlantic, go ahead and try and swim to the bottom. Oh, no. 
before sixth grade boys legitimately kill themselves. I want you to think about this. You won't make it. You won't make it. And that, listen, that is just a speck compared to the love of God. You'll never reach the end of the love of God. You'll never reach the heights of the love of God. You'll never reach the depths of the love of God. You can swim in it forever and ever and ever and ever. And you will never say, I've arrived. I've come to the end. There's no more left. God is love. And I pray that we would begin to grasp that together this weekend. Let's pray together. Father, it feels so, just so humbling and uh, inadequate just to stand up and tell these students that you are love. I don't even fully understand. None of us fully understand what that means. We will continually, forever and ever, as your people, be learning more of what that means. Your love is a well that will never, ever run dry. And so, God, as we look for love and run for love in all these various places and all these various people, I pray that we would cast all that aside this weekend and that we would totally immerse ourselves in your love displayed for us on the cross and that you would satisfy our hearts in your never-ending, never-failing love. God, I pray for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.